wonderful, wasn't it? Wow. I want to tell you, you are so blessed that you're going to have Marshall and Cindy Townsley and Mark and Trana. These are all of our friends. I was sitting listening to those announcements thinking, gee, I wish we could come to those meetings. You are blessed to have the caliber of people who come to this church. I hope you know this is very unusual. And of course, God's given you wonderful pastors who've been with you for years and years and years. Aren't you thankful for your pastors? Amen. Well, before we get into the Word, I want to tell you that we brought a gift. We used to sell our products when we came to church meetings, and we just decided to stop that. So now we just give. So when we come to meetings, we come with books to give to everybody. And today when you leave, your church is going to be giving you a copy of my book, Signs You'll See Just Before Jesus Comes. And this is our gift to you. We want you to take it home and read it. Make sure you read it. And before we get into the Word, I want to tell you one more thing. On March the 4th, we are launching our brand, brand new network in Russia. We're already the owners of a satellite network. We do all kinds of things. It's hard to list them all. But several years ago, the Russian presidential administration came to me, and they said, we would like to work with you to open a new Christian channel that will have the capacity to go into every home in the nation of Russia. And we've been working on this for about two years, and on March the 4th, it launches. Think about that. And the government is working with us to make sure that it really gets into every home. And I just want to tell you, in spite of what you hear on the news about Russia, God is moving in Russia. And everything is very good, everything is very fine, and we are really experiencing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the nation of Russia. I want to thank you for your prayers. I want to thank you for your friendship. And Mark and Tasha, I want to say, Tasha, I want to say thank you for your support. You, your friendship means so much to us. And thank you for allowing Denise and me and Paul to be here and to stand in your pulpit today. You really didn't need us. You're a marvelous teacher of the Word of God, and it's a privilege that you would let us stand here today, and I want to say thank you. And I'm going to do my best to feed your people today, okay? All right, let me see your Bibles. Hold your Bible up in the air. All right, let's see if this is a Bible-believing church. How many of you use an electronic Bible? Let me see. Okay, any kind of Bible, hold it up in the air. Telephone, Bible, wonderful. I want you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 24, and this morning and tonight, I'm going to be speaking to you about the end days, the end times, and if you want to get the whole message, you're going to have to come back tonight because this is part one. But Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach the Word of God. Lord, your Word says in Proverbs 10, 21, the lips of the righteous feed many. And Father, I ask that you would work today, that you would speak through me, and these lips today would feed the hearts of those that are hungry. And Holy Spirit, you're the one that authored this book, and I know that without you it is impossible to open it and to teach it. And since you are the author, we ask you to open the scriptures to us today to take us into them in a way that we've never gone before until we feel them and we experience them. And we thank you for this. In the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, 
Amen. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 24, and this morning we're going to begin in verse 3. And again, this is part 1. I'm going to continue tonight. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, Jesus is sitting with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. Has anybody here ever been to the city of Jerusalem? Well, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know that from the Mount of Olives, you look across the Kidron Valley, and there's a panoramic view of the Temple Mount. And of course, at that time, Herod's temple was standing there. So now Jesus is sitting there speaking to his disciples. Behind him is a panoramic view of the Temple Mount and the city of Jerusalem. And in this context, the disciples begin to ask Jesus questions about the end of the age. And when you come to verse 3, they specifically ask, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. Well, if you have a King James Bible today, I want you to pull out your ink pen or your pencil and either underline or circle several things in verse 3. First of all, they asked the question, when? Either underline or circle that word, when? Then they said, what? Either underline or circle the word, what? And then they said, what shall be the sign? Either underline or circle the word, sign. The sign of thy coming and of the end, either underline or circle the word end, and they said the end of the world, then either underline or circle the word world. So you have the word when, what, sign, in, and world, and all of these words in this verse are very, very significant. For example, when they said, tell us when these things shall be, the word when in Greek is very, very specific. Now, you remember the verse says they came to him privately. They knew that no one else was listening. And now that they were with Jesus alone, they said, all right, Lord, no one else is here. No one is listening to the conversation. So we want to ask you to answer the questions which you cannot answer in the presence of a multitude. Exactly when is what the Greek word means. When shall these things be and what? The word what in the Greek language of the New Testament is just a two-letter word. It's the word T, but it means explicitly, exactly what. It is the equivalent of saying, Lord, we don't want a broad, general answer. We want you to tell us precisely, exactly what will be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. The word sign is the Greek word simeon. And the word simeon was the word used in the New Testament to describe markers along the road to tell you where you were on your journey. Just like today, there are signs along the road that tell you where you are and how much further you have to go. This word simeon, the word sign, describe roads that you would see along the way to your destination. Denise and I just live outside the city of Moscow. And as we drive into Moscow, there are signs along the way to tell us how far we've gone, how much further we have to go, and when we finally pass into Moscow, there is a massive, massive sign which alerts us to the fact that we're no longer traveling toward Moscow, but we've entered into the territory of Moscow itself. But if there were no signs along the way, we would not know where we were in the journey. So if you take this into the context of what Jesus is saying, the disciples were actually asking, Lord, tell us exactly what would be the prophetic signs what will be the prophetic markers that we will see on the prophetic road as we head toward the end of the age? 
And they said, Lord T, tell us exactly, precisely, exactly what will be the primary sign to alert us where we are and that we've come to the end of the age. And that leads us to the next statement. What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? The word end, the Greek word suntaleos, which means the wrap-up, the wrap-up of the world is what the King James Version says, but the word world in Greek is not the word geis, which would be the word world. It's the word ionos, which means the end of the age. And that's very important to understand because there will never be an end of the world. The world is here forever. It's going to be refined by fire. It's going to be changed, but there's never going to be an end of the world. But there will be an end of this particular age. And when Jesus was born... It was called the intertestamental period between the Old and the New Testament. And during that period, there was an obsession with end-time events. Everyone was talking about the end of the age. Then Jesus appears as the Messiah, and he comes with the answers about the end of the age. So the questions which the disciples asked in this verse were very typical of the conversation that was happening between the Jews at that time. When will the end come exactly? What will be the sign of your coming and of the wrap-up of this current age? And actually, this is what everyone was asking at that time. But now the disciples are privately with Jesus, and they said, okay, no one else is listening, so we want to ask you to answer the questions you will not answer in the presence of everyone else. Tell us exactly when will these things be, exactly what will be the sign we'll see along the prophetic road that we've come to the wrap-up of this current age. And then Jesus begins to answer them in verse 4. Well, if you look again at verse 3, they said, what will be the sign? They asked for a singular sign. But Jesus is so wonderful that when you get alone with the Lord, he won't just tell you one thing. He'll tell you a lot of things. And now that they are alone with Jesus, he gives them the first sign and the most important sign that we come to the end of the age. But then he also enumerates other signs along with it. And most people skip over or miss the most important sign Jesus gave us that we've come to the end of the age. In fact, most people just jump to verse 6, which says you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, and verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and pestilence and earthquakes and divers places. Everybody knows those. But Jesus began with the foremost, most important sign that we've come to the end of the age. And it's in verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed. The word take heed in Greek is the word blepete. It means look, listen. It's almost like Jesus is reaching out to grab hold of them by the collar and shake them up, saying, Stand up, throw your shoulders back really here because I'm going to tell you what is the primary sign that you've come to the end of the age. And then he says, take heed, that no man deceive you. Everybody say deceive. Well, what does the word deceive mean? Well, it's important to know what this word means. This word deceive is the Greek word planeo. And that word planeo was another one of those words that was really being used during the intertestamental period to describe events that were going to occur at the very end of the age. And the rabbis said, you will know you sail to the end of the age when delusion and deception is released 
mainstream into society. And now Jesus uses the word deceive to mean the very same thing, the Greek word planeo, which describes a people or a person or a nation who at one time walked a very well-worn path. It was the path they had habitually and traditionally walked upon, but then for some reason, planeo, this is the word deceive, they have wandered from that well-established traditional path and now they are teetering on the very edge of a treacherous cliff about to fall off. And this word deceive was used in an agricultural sense to describe an animal that got so lost, it was so far let off track that it could not find its way back home without help. And by using this word planeo, Jesus says, the most glaring sign that you've come to the end of the age will be when society leaves the traditional well-worn path it has always walked upon and you will begin to see society widespread begin to veer from that established path and begin to take a moral route that is treacherous and dangerous. And in fact, it will feel like society has gotten so far off track that it will not look like it will ever be able to find its way back home. And this word deceive is normally translated as the word delusion. Jesus is really talking about delusionary times at the end of the age. And so he's first and foremost, you'll know you've sailed to the end of the age when delusion is released mainstream into society. Now, we're going to come back to this in just a moment, but let's continue. Then he goes on and he says in verse 6, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. The word wars in Greek is the word polemos. It describes small conflicts, skirmishes, big wars, all kinds of military conflicts. But notice Jesus doesn't say, you will see them. He says, you shall hear of them. It describes a day in which information will be very accessible to society. And in fact, when it says rumors of wars, the word rumors is the Greek word echoe, which is the Greek word for the ear, which describes ears buzzing with rumors and information about worldwide conflicts and skirmishes and conflicts of a military nature in various parts around the earth. Jesus says, as you come to the very end of the age, your ears will buzz with information that you are hearing about conflicts around the globe. And then he says, be not troubled. The word troubled means don't be too upset about this, for these things must come to pass, but the end, or the wrap-up, is not yet. Now, somebody might argue, well, there have always been conflicts. There's nothing new about this, and that's absolutely true. In fact, when Jesus was speaking this word, the Roman armies were occupying the world of that time. They were surrounded by military conflicts. But in these verses, Jesus is speaking futuristically. He says, you shall hear. He's speaking about the very end of the age. We know that because of the question that was addressed to him in verse 3 about the wrap-up of the age. And Jesus says, as you come to the wrap-up of the age, ears will buzz with information about wars. Then in verse 7, he adds, for a nation shall rise against nation. The word nation here is the word ethnos, 
The word ethnos can be translated as the word nation, but it's also where we get the word for ethnic groups. And Jesus says when we come to the end of the age, there will be an uprising, not just among the nations, but among ethnic groups. One religion against another religion, one skin color against another skin color. It will be like a festering, boiling pot that suddenly is going to erupt at the end of the age when suddenly everyone demands their rights and their ways. And in fact, Jesus says one ethnic group will rise against another ethnic group, the word against, the Greek word epi, which means it carries the idea of superiority to decimate the other. It is incivility among different groups. That's really what this means, the inability to get along with each other among the nations and among ethnic groups. And then he adds, kingdom shall rise against kingdom. Again, he's speaking futuristically, pointing to the end of the age. The word kingdom, the Greek word basileia, which carries the idea of a sphere of influence. And for our purposes, a better translation of this would be one ideology against another ideology. It even carries within it the idea of a political connotation, which means at the end of the age, civility will be lost between different ideologies and different political groups. This will no longer be people that just have a different opinion about issues. They will try to decimate each other as incivility moves into every sphere of life. Jesus said, this will be a key that you've come to the end of the age. Then he adds, and there shall be famines. Well, when we think about famines, we usually think of a lack of food. And in fact, the word famine that is used here is a Greek word which actually describes a deficit of corn or a deficit of grain. So people think it primarily has to do with food. But in the Roman world, when Jesus was speaking this word, the economies were based on grain. And when there was a deficit of grain, it upset the entire economy. And so Jesus is not just talking about a lack of food. He's talking about a shakeup in financial systems at the end of the world. Then he adds, and pestilences. The word pestilences, believe it or not, is the word which would describe a pandemic. Jesus said at the end of the age, pandemics will be released. And in Greek, it is plural, which means not just one, there's going to be many, which means COVID was just one. There will be another one in front of us. And it's interesting that just this week, the World Economic Forum in Switzerland is now talking about disease X, which they are expecting to be released at any time. And this week, they said it will be 20 times worse than COVID. Now, prophecy is not intended to scare us. It is intended to prepare us. God loves us so much, he wants us to know what is coming. And if we know that there's going to be a shakeup in the financial systems, then we are prepared for what is coming, and we know we need to be sowing our seed now. So we're going to have a harvest regardless of what happens in the world financial system. And if we know the pandemics are coming, then we are alerted and prepared to know we need to be established in Isaiah chapter 53 about our healing and the stripes that were laid on Jesus' back these scriptures are intended not to scare us, but to prepare us. Say amen. And then it says, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. But when you read this same verse in Luke chapter 21, verse 11, it says great earthquakes. And the word great does not particularly describe the size of the earthquake, but to the number of earthquakes. 
And of course, today our earth is literally trembling with earthquakes across the planet. But there's something else very interesting, which Jesus said, which Luke records in Luke chapter 21, verse 11. If you read Luke 21, verse 11, it almost says identically this same verse, but it adds two more things. And these two things have a mystery, which no one has ever understood. It goes on to say, and there shall be fearful sights and great signs from the heavens at the end of the age. Well, when you read fearful sights in the Greek language, it is the word phobotron. The Greek word phobotron is a derivative of the word phobos, which means fearful. But when phobos becomes phobotron, when Jesus used this word, it only had one meaning. And I like these words that just have one meaning because it means there's only one possible interpretation. And when Jesus said, there will be phobotron or fearful sights, that word phobotron is the very word which was used to describe monsters. Monsters. And if we're going to be really true about what Jesus said, he said at the end of the age, there will be the appearance of monsters. That's a literal translation. And that is why most translators have never properly translated it because nobody has known what are the monsters. But that is what Jesus said. Now, let me just throw out a theoretical question for you. This is not a personal opinion. I'm not making a fashion statement. I'm just asking a question. If a time traveler from 100 years ago was suddenly transported into our time. Again, this is not my personal opinion. It's not a fashion statement. And saw people with metal through their lips and their tongues and their noses and their eyebrows and tattoos all over their face, which was only associated with criminals and pagans in the ancient world, and saw people with orange hair and green hair and all colors of hair, and saw people who, what were they? Is it a man? Is it a woman? What has happened to them? Because, of course, they've been surgically transformed. Is it possible that someone from 100 years ago who was suddenly transported into our time might feel that they're surrounded by monstrous things? That's not an answer to this, just a question. But then Jesus added one more thing. He said, great signs from the heavens. Wow. This is another one of those things translators don't know what to do with because the word from is the preposition apo, which means descending directly from. Jesus says at the end of the age, there will be things descending from the heavens. Well, that is very wide open to interpretation. But we're living in a day when even the U.S. military is talking about things that are unexplainable, which are now being seen in the heavens. And Jesus said at the very end of the age, there will also be the appearance of monsters and things coming out of the spirit realm or out of the heavens. It's also very interesting that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, please write down that reference. Jesus said, 
but as it was in the days of Noah. And the Greek actually says exactly precisely as it was. It describes a duplicate or a replica moment. Exactly as it was in the days of Noah prior to the flood, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, which means whatever was taking place in the world in the days before the flood, according to Matthew 24, verse 37, according to the words of Jesus, it is going to be exactly replicated again in the time period just before the coming of Jesus. Well, if you look back and study what was happening in the world prior to the time of the flood, there was a lot of strange, dark spiritual activity taking place. Monstrous creatures were being created. And Jesus said what was happening then is going to happen again at the end of the age. Before the flood, there were celestial beings Strange creatures coming down into the earth, interfacing with people. Jesus said it's going to happen again at the end of the age. And my friends, it's likely that before we come to the wrap-up of this age, we're going to see things that no one else has seen in our time, in, in our generation. I can't give you a concrete answer about what it is, but I have to tell you honestly, that really is what Jesus said. Then you come to Matthew 24, verse 8. And Jesus said, all of these are the beginning of sorrows. The word sorrows is the Greek word uden. The word uden is the word for the birth pains that a woman experiences before she gives birth to a baby. Well, thank God I've never given birth to a baby. I'm so thankful for that. But I've watched my wife give birth to three. And when the birth pains first began, you might not even be sure that it's a birth pain. I can remember Denise saying, maybe, I think maybe I felt something. I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe I felt something. But as time went by, she wasn't guessing whether or not she was feeling something. She knew she was feeling something. And as every woman knows, the closer you get to delivery, the closer the pains become, the more intense they become as she moves into transition to deliver that child. And Jesus now uses this word prophetically to tell us. At the end of the age, the birth pains, signaling that you've come to the end of the age, will begin very small, but as you get closer and closer and closer to the end of the age, these events will begin to pile one on top of the next, on top of the next, on top of the next, on top of the next. And just like a woman has moved into transition, she can't say, I've changed my mind, we're not going to do this. When all of these events get rolling, it is irreversible. We have sailed to the end of the age. And the end of the age is upon us. Now, if you study the Old Testament, every age begins, ends with birth pains. Every age begins with birth pains. For example, when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, that ended the age of innocence. That was very tough, but it gave birth to the next age, which was, was the age of governments. That age was ended with the flood. That was such mighty birth pains, but it produced the next age, which then at the Tower of Babel, more birth pains gave birth to the age of the patriarchs. That ended with the children of Israel who left the land of Egypt through a mighty 
convulsive event. That age ended with birth pains as it gave birth to the age of the law. Then we come to the death of Jesus when the Old Testament ended with birth pains as the earth literally shook when Jesus was crucified on the cross and it gave birth to the church age. Every age ends with birth pains to give birth to the next age. And likewise, just because we've come to the end of this present age doesn't mean that it is the end of everything. It's just the end of this age. It's going to give birth to the next age, which is called the Great Tribulation. But we won't be here because the Lord is going to evacuate us. And the moment we are received by the Lord, the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in that very synchronized moment, that's exactly what the Greek says. In that very synchronized moment when he that restrains is taken out of the way, then, the Greek word says then, at that exact synchronized moment, the church is removed and bam, in that moment, that wicked one, will be revealed. Which means the Antichrist cannot make his appearance until the church is gone. And the word appeared is the Greek word apokalupsis. It means to pull back the curtain, which means it is likely that he's already standing center stage, but he can't make his appearance until the restraining force is removed. But once the restraining force is removed, bam, in that moment, the curtain will be pulled back. And the man of lawlessness will make his grand appearance. All of that is in front of us. This is why it's so important that we understand what the Bible says. It means the mark of the beast is not going to be given until the church is removed. Many people were fearful that the vaccine was the mark of the beast. It is not the mark of the beast. I don't know what it is. And there are various opinions about it. But the mark of the beast will be given after the church has been removed. But Jesus now gives all of these as signs, and he gives other signs, but when you get to verse 14, he gives another very significant sign. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be, he's speaking futuristically, preached. The word preached would be better translated, heralded by all means in all the world. Well, when you read the words, all the world, you think it means that you have to send a missionary to every island everywhere on the planet. That is not what it means. All the world in Greek describes the inhabited world or the civilized world. It doesn't even mean that every person will hear it, but it means the availability of the gospel will be present to everyone. And for the first time in human history, Due to internet technology and telephones, the entire world has the possibility to hear some form of the gospel. It is the first time that verse has ever been fulfilled. You know, not long ago, Denise and I were in Vietnam. Denise and I go to some pretty interesting places. And we were on our way to North Vietnam to a place called Halong Bay. If you've never heard of it, it's amazing. And as we were on our way to Halong Bay, I was looking out in the rice paddy fields at these Vietnamese women who were pushing ox carts made out of something that looked so primitive. It looked just like what they had done probably five or six hundred years ago. It didn't look any different. 
except that they were speaking on mobile telephones while they were working the rice paddy fields. And it is truly amazing. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. You can go to the poorest nations where they have nothing to eat, but they're walking around with telephones. And for the very first time in history, verse 14 has the ability to be fulfilled. Is that remarkable? That is remarkable. But according to verse 4, the chief sign, above all these others, the one that Jesus gives before anything else, is that when we've come to the very, very, very end of the age, we will know it because delusion will become widespread in society. Now turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And this is where we're going to end this morning. And friends, this is where we're going to pick up tonight. So if you can come back tonight, please do. I don't have time to do all this in one message. But when you come to Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul brilliantly describes a society that has cast God aside. And when you come to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. If you have an ink pen or pencil, either underline or circle the word hold. The word hold would be better translated who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It doesn't say they don't know the truth. They know it. They don't like it. They no longer believe it. And therefore, they try to restrain it or suppress it or put a lid on it. You could translate this literally the unrighteousness of men who try to suppress the truth. Don't let that out. Stop that proclamation. Don't let them say that because this is no longer the trend. Verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they're without excuse. Verse 21. Because that, listen to this, when they knew God, and the word knew here is the word gnosis, it describes a broad or general knowledge of God. It doesn't mean they were all saved, but it describes a time when there was a general God-fearing society. People had an acknowledgement of God. They had a respect of God. Even if they didn't go to church, they were a God-fearing kind of people. And when they knew him in that way, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. And in Greek, the word neither were thankful, the Greek word akaristos. The word keristos means to be thankful, but if you put the privative A on the front, it means you cancel it or you reverse it, or it was no longer fashionable to recognize God. It was no longer the trend to give thanks to God, so people began to back away from that. That's literally what the Greek means, and they blocked their thanksgiving to God. And by the way, when thankfulness disappears, it is replaced with entitlement. Then it goes on to say, and became vain in their imaginations. The word vain is the Greek word metaios. It describes something that is completely wasted. The word imagination is the Greek word logismos. It's where you get the word for logical thinking. It means when you reject God and cease to acknowledge God, you don't get smarter. You become wasted in your logic. That's literally what the Greek means. And their foolish heart was darkened. 
The word heart, the Greek word cardia, it's where you get the word for a heart. So you have to stop for a moment and think about what does the heart do? The heart pumps. It pumps and pumps and pumps and pumps and pumps and pumps blood into every nook and cranny of your body. But now we find that just as the human heart pumps blood, when the heart of society turns from God, it begins to pump darkness and pumps and pumps and pumps darkness. Verse 22, all the while professing themselves... The word professing would be better translated, putting themselves forward or asserting themselves to be wise. And guess what the word wise means? It describes the uppercut of society, those who say they are the progressives ahead of everybody else. And while they're asserting themselves to be wise, Paul says they became fools. The word fools, my friends, is the Greek word moreno. Can anybody guess what word we get from that? It's the word morons. So while they're putting themselves forward as being the uppercut of society, the progressive thinkers, they become so wasted in their logic and their minds, Paul says in reality, they become morons in their thinking. In fact, so moronic in their thinking that verse 23 says, and they changed, the Greek says exchanged. It's the picture of putting two things on the table and deciding which one you want. You can't have both, so you've got to pick and choose. God is on the table, man is on the table. Now man is so defective in his mind that he has decided to exchange God and take himself instead. And exchange the glory of the incorruptible God. Now look at verse 23. Oh, this verse is brilliant. Change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Do you know we have in verse 23? This is idolatry. This is the history of idolatry in reverse. For example, my specialty is early Christianity and ancient paganism. The earliest forms of paganism, what was it? Creeping things. They worshiped creeping things. As man's mind began to ascend a little higher, they began to worship four-footed beasts. By the time you come to the Roman Empire, they're worshiping birds. Now they're worshiping things that fly. And Paul says, when we come to the end of the age, idolatry will have evolved from creeping things and four-footed beasts and flying things until the end of the age, man will fixate on himself and man will be the center of his own universe. That's what verse 23 is about. And the result of this is verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up. Well, people read that and they say, well, this is the problem. God just washed his hand and gave them up. It's a bad translation. A better translation would be, wherefore, God released them. God will let you worship whatever you want to worship. And if you don't want to worship him, he will release you to worship whatever you want. And if man wants man, God will release man. And this verse says, wherefore, God released them to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. The word dishonor, the Greek word, means to shamefully treat their bodies, 
to do things to bodies that should not be done to bodies. Paul says when a society goes completely off track, you can see it in the way people deal with their bodies. And then he adds in verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God to a lie and worshiped and served the creature, which is man, more than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. Verse 26, for this cause, God released them. The Greek says God let them go or release them unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet, which means when you do things wrong sexually, you're going to reap something which is very bad. Do you see how God loves us, that he tells us what happens when we go astray? Verse 28, even as they did not, what? Like to retain God in their knowledge. This is not an ignorant people. This is a people who have heard the truth. They know the truth. They no longer like it. So they're trying to suppress it. They no longer want to retain that knowledge because it's no longer fitting for how they think and what they want to be. So God gave them over to or released them to a reprobate mind. Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but when I was a boy, if we really didn't like somebody, we'd call him a reprobate. We didn't even know what it meant. We'd say, ah, he's just a reprobate. What does it mean to be reprobate? The word reprobate is the Greek word adikimos. The word dikimos describes something that's fitting, something that's brilliant, something that is marvelously made. When it applies to the mind, it describes a mind that is just amazing. But if you put a privative on the front of it, eh, dokimos, it's a mind that is now malfunctioning. It's a mind that has been bombarded with wrong information so many times again and again and again and again and again that it begins to remold the mind, reshape the mind, so the mind no longer thinks the way it was designed to think. Just like we read in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, that at the end of the age, people will call darkness light. They will call light darkness. They will call good evil and evil good. It's a people that have become so mentally scrambled that they can no longer think right. They actually believe what is wrong is right. One day, Denise and I were listening to a politician from the United States. And by the way, I just want to tell you, the rest of the world is watching the United States and wagging their heads in disbelief at what's happening in this country. And I was listening to a politician just spew the most venomous, stupid stuff. I said, Denise, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with that person. They're reprobate. A reprobate person is not hopeless. It just means they've listened to wrong information for so long that they've really begun to believe it. They really believe that nonsense. They believe it. That's because their mind has been modified. But just like it can be modified in a wrong way, if they get saved and if they listen to the Word of God and if they're really willing to obey it, their mind can be renewed and can be put back in shape again. There's always hope. But let me read to you the RIV 
of Romans 1, just verse 21 and 22. Are you ready for this? Here is an accurate translation of Romans 1, 21 and 22. Although society once had a general acquaintance of God, a general knowledge of God, and a reverence for things related to God, a time will come when people find it no longer fashionable to give God his due reverence. Rather than be grateful to God for their blessings, they forget who blessed them and cease to be thankful. They turn from God, and as a result, they begin to veer morally, which results in their thinking becoming laced with error that affects how they reason about everything. They allege it was all right to believe things that are not supported by correlating facts and evidence, and eventually their conclusions become totally out of touch with reality. A normal heart pumps blood, but the heart of a God-rejecting society pumps and proliferates foolishness until it is filled with darkness that eventually spawns depravity, immorality, and godless behaviors. The so-called leaders of a God-rejecting society constantly assert that they are the brilliant intellectuals of a new way of thinking, even though it is difficult to fathom how they could claim such a thing. Regardless of what they assert, Their words and their ways of thinking make them sound like those who are mentally ill or mentally deranged. How could anyone who thinks like this think they are normal? Make no mistake. Those who think in this way are clearly morons. That is a literal translation of the Greek text. One thing about the Apostle Paul, he just said it the way he saw it. And that is a literal translation of that text. And Jesus said, welcome to the end of the age when you've come into a time of delusion. And that is where we are. But what is the answer for this? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. (laughs) told you I can't get all this into one message. It's part one and part two. But my friends, there is no reason for us to hide, to pull the shades in our house and not leave our homes. This is the time we live in. And we have to embrace it and say, Jesus, help us to rise and shine. Help us to rescue the perishing, care for the dying. If we've got friends, family, relatives that are already reprobate in the way they think, help us to pound their brains with truth until they begin to see things in a new way. This is the greatest hour for the church. It is the greatest hour. You know, one day I was riding on a plane, and we hit really, really bad turbulence. I mean, it was bam, 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 and I was grabbing hold of the arms of my chair. You could see my knuckles were white. And I looked at my assistant who was sitting by me. He was a Russian. And he'd thrown his arms up into the air, and he said, whoa, this is so much fun. I said, what in the world are you thinking? He said, come on, relax. There's nothing we can do about it. Just treat it like it's a roller coaster. Let's just enjoy this. So you know what I did? I threw my arms up in the air. I said, good idea. My friends, we're living at the end of the age, and somebody has to live at the end of the age. You know, when I was a kid, we played tag. Didn't any of you play tag? It's always fun to play tag until you're the one that's picked. But somebody has to be tagged to live at the end of the age. And God has tagged us. We are seeing what prophets prophesied about. We're living at the end of the age, and we're going to see a move of God 
on the remnant that walks with God. It's going to be powerful what's going to happen. But the Bible tells us these things. Not discourage, but to do what? To prepare us. And if you know what the Bible says is going to happen, then rather than say, ay, 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 you say, oh, this is it. This is what we were born for. This is what Jesus prepared us for. And you know, our churches, we've been talking about walking in faith for 50 years. Well, now it's time to get out of the bleachers and get out on the playing field. This is the time to play the game. And the game is for the souls of men. So that's what was on my heart for the first service today. Did you get anything out of this? Thank you. Put your hand on your heart. I want to pray for you. And then I want to turn this over to Pastor Mark. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you love us so much that you told us everything we need to know. Lord, you didn't want to scare us, but you wanted to prepare us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us the blood of Jesus. We're in covenant with each other so we can support each other. Help us to walk in faith and walk with power and shine the light to people that need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Woo! Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for bringing that word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Still don't you love the way God speaks to us? And so we've been saying this for a while. I love that he's not saying that to scare us, but to prepare us. So what have we, God's given us for years, but he brought it back beginning of the year. God is preparing us for that which he's prepared for us. So when we arrive at that place, we occupy it. We're not occupied by it. Amen. And so we're going to arrive at this place. He said, this is the end of the age. We're coming. We're in it. But it's not to occupy us. He has already been preparing us to occupy this place in history. Could it be that we've come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Not to look and say, oh my God, why did you bring me into this time? But to say, I am here for this time. Right? Come on, that, that got a lot less enthusiasm than it should have. I know you're processing, but all this information could go, but it's not to scare you. It's to say, listen, I'm here, right here, right now. And when you go to work and you look at the people around you and you see the delusion, you see how they're being convinced, you know that you are in that place. You are in that workplace. You are in that neighborhood. You are in the presence of that person. You know when you see these things, even working on them, that you bring a message of good news in the midst of all this confusion. You carry it. You carry the anointing. You carry the truth. You carry the light. If their heart's been darkened, you carry the light. And so just as he said, it could be pounded for them to be confused, the truth dispels the lie. The light overcomes the darkness. And so when we start to see ourselves receive this and say, listen, I'm not going to allow that for me to put a lampshade over who I am so the world can't see it. Now is the time to throw that off because they might be caught in darkness, but I'm carrying 
the light that they need to see forward. They may think a forward is hopeless, but we carry a light to say, do you need a lamp to see forward in your path so you don't stumble? Let me show you what forward looks like with Jesus. Amen? Praise the Lord. How many of you were taught the word? Wow, you were really taught the word. We were taught the word. So the Bible tells us in Galatians 6, if we're taught the word, that we communicate with the teacher and all good things. So we're going to receive an offering for Rick and Denise and their ministry, their lives, as they've imparted to us something that won't just be for today. If we received it, it won't just be for today. It's spirit and it's life. What you receive today will take you, develop you, cultivate, grow you, equip you tomorrow and the next day and the next day and into the future. And so he says that any, any big thing is they communicate a spiritual substance to you that as you receive it, it continues to work because it's spirit and it's life. It's eternal. It's forever settled. The word that you receive is forever settled and in heaven. It won't change. So you receive something that's forever settled. It's eternal. He says, is it any big deal as you receive eternal substance that we communicate a natural substance? And so there's an exchange that takes place, but we just got the better end of the deal. We receive something that will continue to produce in us and produce for us as we utilize that, cultivate it, allow it to grow and produce all that that word is created to produce because it came to us and it, it came upon us and God says, my word will never return void. It will produce exactly what I intended for it to produce. So there's something that you receive today that as it came into your heart, as it came into your ears and you said, listen, wow, that's something I receive it, that as you cultivate it, it's going to continue to produce and fulfill exactly what God intended for it to produce in your life. And so you embrace it. So it's the word. It's the living, alive word of God. And he said, just communicate with the teacher of that, that I've anointed, that I've gifted to come here free of charge. Right? This isn't a charge. He came freely to bring from the gift of God in him to you. And so he says, is it any big deal that you take of what I blessed you with naturally and exchange that to the one who freely gave from the gift in them? Amen. So if you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you're giving by cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. The ushers would love to give you an envelope. And uh, if you're giving by text, the number is up there. Praise the Lord. Wow. What a great word. Um, while you're preparing, the books that he brought are right back there um, at the uh, table, right under the flags right there. So I encourage you to go and... Uh, Grab yourself a book. Thank you so much for that gift to us. And uh, each one of you, grab a book and uh, praise the Lord. You'll be mightily blessed to read that book. It is awesome. It has uh, many things that were uh, spoken today uh, in that. So you'll want to pick up that book and uh, read it, meditate on it. It'll help you not only know the signs, but equip you uh, for the day we live in. Praise the Lord. Seemed like there was something else I was going to say. What? That was it. Praise the Lord. You can stay. I mean, there was a lot in that, so you're welcome to stay for next service. And uh, I would like to say you're required to come back tonight, but we really can't do that. But, man, you don't want to. I don't know about you, but if you could walk away and not get the second half of that, 
What was that word? Delusion? Delusional? Just kidding. Man, you want to hear part two. Man, if you know somebody who's struggling with what's going on in the world, grab them, bring them back tonight for them to hear what God says about the day we're living in will be so valuable to them. So you don't want to miss tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, every opportunity that we have that you give us to come together as your body. God, thank you for the gifts you've placed in the body. Thank you for what you've spoken to us. Thank you for the word that Miss Denise sung. The power of that word, God, what we've received today from you is so generous of you to place gifts in the body, to deposit to us. We thank you for that. Now the opportunity that we have to give from our natural substance into their life as they've deposited those spiritual things we are thankful for. And we declare your word upon each and every one as they give. We thank you that you supply their every need according to your riches and glory by Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for your supply in all their lives to meet every need that they have. We declare it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and pass those buckets. Praise the Lord. You are equipped, fully ready. Amen. We've been in the locker room. We've got the pep talk. We're ready to go. And if you don't know it, somebody told me the other day, they didn't even know that, but we had a message about that. And so, like in Notre Dame, when they go out of the football, uh, uh, out of the locker room onto the field, they have their motto right up there, and they slap that baby in confidence. We're going out on the field to finish that. So are those signs above that door that say, Now, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. So you're going out into this last days to be triumphant. So if you just think about it, look up there and slap that and say, I'm on my way to triumph in Christ Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand up? Say this we go, what God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Dismiss. Make it a great day. We'll see you at 6 o'clock tonight.